want to go to John chapter 10, if you would, John chapter 10, in our series through the book of John. We called it Behold the Lamb of God, the series, and we're at John chapter 10 now. Tonight in our evening service, we're going to wrap up the uh, time we've been spending in the book of uh, Hebrews. We're going to be at the end of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and so I want to encourage you to come back uh, this evening for a 6 o'clock service as we wrap up the book of Hebrews series as well. So John chapter 10, and I want to read verse 1 to verse 18, if you'd follow along with me. John 10, verse 1 to verse 18. I want to preach to you concerning the door and the porter. Verily I say unto you, He that entereth, in, uh, entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They uh, shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider these great truths of the porter and the door and the shepherd and the sheep and the fold and the flock, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, glean the truths that you would have for us to have out of this passage today. I pray for those that are here without a sure knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal sense. You don't know them by name yet, and they don't know you by name yet. I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself, and they would come into the fold, into the flock of God. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless us that have had the, uh, the honor to be called your children and have uh, been saved by your grace. I pray that we would understand how important it is for us to recognize that there is only one door and one way and that we need to communicate that great truth to the world 
And Father, we ask your blessing on the reading of thy word now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, remain standing uh, for our chapter 10 once again, John chapter 10. And uh, let's consider what uh, the passage we have before us has to give to each of us today. We're going to be baptizing right after the service. Damien trusted Jesus as his Savior of a couple of weeks ago right after the services. And so some of his family's here with today to observe his baptism. Appreciate them coming. But uh, Brother Damien is uh, looking forward to following the Lord in obedience uh, in baptism and growing in Christ from there. So we're excited about that. Have some of our folks missing, one of our new couples, our newest young couple. Uh, they're heading out for their honeymoon. So uh, Aaron and Alicia married yesterday, and, uh, and uh, we want you to pray for them as they have a little time together and to, to um, make acquaintance. And so we're looking forward to having them back with us as soon as the uh, honeymoon is over and they get settled back down in. Got a proud mama here someplace showing pictures off. She's probably not paying much attention to the services today. Um, but uh, maybe we'll be able to reach her. Where is she? She's, she's not even in here. She's, she's over showing pictures in the nurseries. Oh, she's in junior. That's right. She's in junior church. She's showing her pictures to the junior church kids. That's right. Amen. So uh, Sister Tish is a proud mom. We're, we're congratulating all the family and uh, thank God for us getting to have part in that. This is one of the young couples I mentioned yesterday. This is one of the young couples that we uh, get to marry and they stick around. You know, most of the young couples we marry and they're heading off and moving out and uh, going on their uh, different callings and responsibilities. Uh, and uh, several, many of them have gone into the ministry over the years. And we thank God for those that have married and then gone off to serve God in some place. And we have lots of young couples like that that are serving the Lord in different parts of uh, the world and different parts of the nation. So we're uh, thrilled with that, and that's really what we're supposed to be doing anyway as a church. You know, we're not, we're not called to try to make ourselves into a mega church. We're called to reach people for Christ and train them and baptize them and then uh, disciple them and uh, get them serving God and seeing those called to ministry and going out and serving God in the, in the world and the culture that we live in. So we're excited about that, that uh, fact that's being repeated over and over again. But we do like it when once in a while a couple says we're going to stick around here and we're going to have our career here and we're going to stay with the church here. And so uh, we're excited about uh, having that be the case with Aaron and uh, Alicia this time around. But uh, thank God for all those that uh, we have been blessed to see that happen with over the years. Uh, so you're in, uh, you're in chapter 10 there. And I want to really focus on just a couple of things that we uh, are heading toward as we come to the conclusion of the message there that I hope you really get some two simple truths that come out of this passage that we are going to kind of build into as we uh, move forward. But I mentioned uh, that John's message was that, that one, that uh, it's all about me decreasing and Christ increasing in my life. And so it is. He was uh, like, like a porter to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, opening the way, you know, and preparing the way for our our Lord, when, uh, when you have a great house, uh, it is not the porter who receives the attention. It is those to whom he is opening the door who get the attention. But the psalmist did give some preference to the porter as uh, he wrote an accounting of it in Psalm 84 and verse 10. And it says, for, uh, uh, for a, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So that uh, doorkeeper, that porter was uh, saying, I would rather keep the door, just be the guy that opens and closes the door in the church. 
I would rather be that guy in the house of the Lord than to be the wealthy merchant dwelling in the tents of wickedness. So there is a place for the doorkeeper. There's a place of honor for the porter as well. And we read our passage. We saw that there's none other door. There's none other gate. There's no other way uh, than the way of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the place of the good shepherd. He alone. But I'm thankful that any child of God can be a porter at his door. Any child of God, any of you can be a porter. I get to be a porter. You get to be a porter in the house of the Lord. We can open the door for those that are coming to Christ. Open the door to, to, to the gospel for those that need Christ. And we can open the door to someone to introduce them to our good shepherd. We can be a doorkeeper in that we can get someone to the house of God and uh, someone to uh, uh, come to church with us. We have, um, some of you have guests today that you invited and uh, you're a porter. You open the house of God uh, to a guest, got them to come and thank God for that. Now it is true that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ has done some, or will do some portering, has done and will do both some porter work, some door opening work. In um, the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 7, it says it this way, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. He is the porter that has the final say and the absolute control. He has the key to the door. And right now he's opening the door to you, but the day will come when uh, for all of us the doors of opportunity, the doors of salvation, the doors of hope, those are open now but will be closed one day. And when they're closed, no man's going to open them. And so, uh, and by the way, now that they're open, no man's going to close them. God has the control of that. And so he is acting in the sense of a porter in that way. So... Uh, it's, you, you don't have the option this morning, uh, my friend, of just saying, well, I'll come in my way in my time. It's uh, he that's got the door open, and, and none of us knows when that opportunity of salvation is going, that door is going to close. And nobody knows that. Only God has that, uh, has that information. And so uh, don't, don't think that we just have the option of doing it in our own time, in our own way, because that's not the case. It is... His way, and, uh, and it is His time. And as the Holy Spirit of God is working on your heart now, recognize that it's the Holy Spirit of God that's reminding you that the door is right now open. And you need to step through that door while you have the opportunity. So uh, here in the text, though, that we read, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ isn't acting in the place of the porter because the Bible's, uh, the passage we read says, To Him the porter openeth, to Christ the porter openeth. And so, you know, the logical question might follow for you and me this morning. Are you opening the door? Are you opening the door to God's will uh, and to God's guidance and to God's word and to God's way in your life? Are you opening that door? I might ask the question, who and to what are you opening the door of your life these days? Uh, to whom and to what are you opening the door of your life to these days? Is it, is it Christ? Is, is it His will? Is it His word? Is it His guiding hand? Is it His Holy Spirit? I hope that's the case. I hope that's the way your heart's door is operating these days. 
So the porter's work is very evident in the passage. But then we have the sheepfold mentioned there, the sheepfold and the doorway of the sheepfold. He says there is just one doorway. There's just one doorway. When you get the opportunity in the future to go to the land of Israel, you're going to notice and be, it's going to be pointed out to you along the ways as you're traveling through the different uh, villages and so forth. You're going to notice from time to time uh, a shepherd and sheep. And there's still a, a very viable work that goes on in the uh, regions of Palestine and, and that among the Palestinians and among the uh, Hebrews as well. There are those that keep sheep on the hillsides. And as the uh, uh, tour guide that you have is uh, guiding you along the way, he's going to point out to you from time to time uh, areas where there may be a, 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 um, a cliff side or a, a large rock uh, situated or maybe a place where the road is up higher and there's a, a face there, a rock face there. But around that, he's going to point out to you a, an enclosure of sorts. It's... It's uh, just piled up rocks. It's a, it's a, it's a rocky country uh, and rocks everywhere. And so uh, these enclosures are made of just piled up rocks. They might be three or four feet high, three feet high maybe, and just kind of coming to a peak like that and, uh, and, and up against a, a flat place, a rock or a, or a cut in the hillside or a great cliffside or something like that. And around that, uh, that enclosure, there's only one place for an opening. And if you have the occasion when the sheep are either going out or coming in, you'll see the shepherd leading them in or leading them out of that enclosure. And, and then they'll either put a, a door of some sort up of a bramble or, or a whatever's handy there, or they'll just occupy that space themselves uh, as the door themselves. And so you'll get to see that uh, illustrated there, but that was what Jesus was pointing to uh, and pointing out a very common sight to those that were hearing him that day and then how he was explaining the, uh, the sheepfold and the single doorway. Uh, there's only, he said, one doorway and there is one shepherd for the fold, for the flock that is there, uh, one shepherd recognizing his voice. So all these uh, illustrations from uh, around him are being pointed out that day. And he says this. He says anybody that's going to come up over the wall and in is going not to be the, the shepherd. It's not going to be one of the sheep. The sheep go only by the door. and The shepherd goes only through the door. He said so if any, anyone or anything else is coming up another way, then that other way is the way of a thief or a robber. The thief uses darkness and deceit in his activities, but the robber uses violence in his activities. And so what Jesus was most directly pointing back to was this crowd he had just finished with. We talked about them last week, the religious leaders and so forth. He pointed them out really as the thieves and the robbers who were in effect trying to go in some other way, trying to enter into God's kingdom some other way. And he said, those are nothing more than false prophets. They're nothing more than thieves or robbers. They're false shepherds. These false shepherds were pointed out in several of the prophecies in the Bible. You'll read of them in Ezekiel, read of them in, in, uh, uh, in um, uh, uh, Isaiah. And in Jeremiah, you'll read of these false prophets, these false pastors who had no care, no concern for the sheep at all, only wanted to advance their own agendas. We see a lot of those kinds of uh, false religionists these days who 
want to get rich on the people of God. It's a sad thing that there's now a list of the 25 richest pastors in the world. That, that list shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be any pastors uh, on the list of the wealthiest people in the world. That shouldn't be the case, you know. Uh, that should not be how it is. But uh, certainly there are, uh, there are plenty of false prophets out there whose agenda is the same as the agenda of these uh, religious leaders that Jesus was dealing with who had no concern for the sheep, no concern for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, no concern at all for the things that God was concerned with, only concerned for themselves, their advancement, their promotion, their uh, comfort in life, their power, their position and prestige. That was all their concern uh, was. And so these are the ones that Jesus identifies as the robbers, the thieves that are trying to uh, introduce some other way to the kingdom of God. And that was them. And uh, their exchange was they had taken the truth and replaced it with traditions. They had taken the Torah and replaced it with the Talmud. They had a greater desire to have their opinion and their uh, traditions validated rather than the validation of the Word of God itself. But there's just no other way into God's fold. There's but one door. We saw the treatment uh, that they gave to the uh, blind man when he was healed. The Lord Jesus' concern for, was for this lost sheep in the house of Israel, this blind man who called out for help and uh, Jesus uh, healed him. The other crowd was not at all interested in this lost sheep and this, uh, this one who represented uh, so many in Israel who needed so much, this one whose physical blindness represented the spiritual blindness of so many others around him. That wasn't the concern at all of these religious leaders. They hated him the more when he was helped. They hated him the more when he identified the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who gave him sight. And, and their response to this uh, once lost sheep was not to rejoice when he received his sight and not to rejoice when he saw that God had worked in his life. Their response was, let's put him out of the synagogue. Let's excommunicate him from our religious circles. Let's ban his family from, uh, from communicating with him. Let's Let's uh, make life miserable for this lost sheep. So, what a difference there is. No wonder Jesus identified such persons as nothing more than thieves and robbers. But I want you to look for a moment at the sheep, though, and the shepherd that we read about in the passage there. The sheep and the shepherd. We see that he has a personal connection. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the great shepherd, has a personal connection with his sheep. He calls them by name. He calls them by name, and they recognize his voice. He doesn't see you and I as just a mass of religious humanity. He doesn't stand in a great uh, portico somewhere and look out over the masses and give the mass to them. He, he doesn't see them as a sea of nameless faces in front of him that somehow or another are going to, you know, uh, evolve into a, uh, a future kingdom. He doesn't see it that way at all. He sees... Myself, and he sees you, and you, and you, and you as individuals. He knows your name and my name, and he knows all about us. And we that are his sheep recognize his voice. You see, we 
uh, know his voice, and there is a close, intimate, personal connection between the great shepherd and his sheep. We know his voice. Immediately, those that were saved in Jesus' ministry recognized the difference. They knew there was something they were uneasy about, about the religious leaders, and they were never real comfortable around the synagogue and around the leadership there. They were never, you know, there was always a little bit of stiffness and formality uh, when the priests come by or when the religious leaders came by and there was this sense of, you know, a gap between them and the religious leaders didn't come in and out of the same doors and didn't uh, sit at the same places that the, the common people did. I mean, there was always a, a distance between them, you know, uh, uh, as there is with religious leaders these days that, uh, you know, focus on religion rather than Christ. They want to keep the distance and the difference between them and the people and that was the case uh, there in that, uh, in that time. But when these lost sheep of the house of Israel, when these people came to Christ and were born again and trusted Him as their Savior, immediately they, it clicked what the difference was. They, they recognized what the difference was. Here was one who had a voice of grace and a voice of kindness and a voice of mercy and a voice of authority, a voice of power. It was different than the voices of the rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was different from their voice. Their voice was always conflict and always uh, condemnation and always rabbinical opinions and uh, Levitical laws added unto by the, uh, by the various rabbis down through the ages until the volume of the books that was written about the Talmud far exceeded the Talmud itself, uh, uh, about the uh, Torah, far exceeded the Torah itself. So their uh, views, their traditions, their talks, their uh, little homilies, their sermons and so forth bore none of the marks that the Lord Jesus' preaching did. Here was one who spoke with authority. Here was one who spoke with power. Here was one who was taking the people back to God's Word and back to the Scriptures. And all of a sudden they were hearing God's Word again rather than the opinions of the rabbis and the traditions of the elders. <laughs> they were getting that which Jesus Christ intended for them to get. And so they see a difference in His voice. Mark 1.22 records it this way. It says, And they were astonished at His doctrine, at Christ's doctrine, for He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So uh, we, we see that. And we see where our shepherd leads. He calleth his own by name, the Bible says, and leadeth them out. Hey, wait a minute. We're, we want to be in. We don't want to be out. <laughs> but he says, he calleth his sheep by name and leadeth them out. Well, what's that mean, Lord? Thank God. He's leading us out of bondage. He's leading us out of religion. You need to be led out of religion and, and to Christ. You need to be out of religion and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's doing here. He leadeth them out. He's leading them out of superstition. He's leading them out of bondage. And he's leading them out of the fold to go to the pastures. I mean, it's a two-way door there, you know. He's leading them out of the fold to go to the field. And so he puts us forth, and yet he still, it says he puts us forth, but, he, but he's, he's leading us out. He's leading us out. 
when we get going, when we get going out, uh, you know, we, he goes before us. He didn't call us just to gather in his house and, and that's it. That's the end. You know, we're dismissed. Our, our time is up. We put our hour in and we're gone, gone for the week. He didn't do that. He let us in, but he leads us out as well. Some of you have the culture enough to remember um, Abbott and Costello. Some of you are, you know, deeply cultured in the, uh, in the finer things in life to remember such, uh, uh, such uh, uplifting uh, and um, encouraging uh, entertainment. And so, uh, but you can remember uh, Lou. Uh, Lou was the big one, you know. Lou would invariably, invariably, when there was a dangerous situation, he would push Bud ahead of him through the door, and uh, he would be pushing Bud ahead while he was telling him, follow me. So our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't do that. He doesn't push you out and, uh, while telling you, follow me. He's leading you and leading me, and all that is, uh, all that is needed is for us to simply follow uh, in, the, in the trail that he's broken for us. It's, uh, it's much easier to follow in a trail that's been broken for us than to break our own trail. And, and so it was. Uh, John 10, 27 says, My sheep, Hear my voice, and I know them, Jesus said, and they follow me. They follow me. Sheep get familiar with the shepherd's voice by hearing the shepherd's voice. And so when you're in the house of God and the word of God is preached, you're getting familiar with the shepherd's voice, not my voice, the, the voice of Christ, the voice of our good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one who we all serve. And so uh, we're getting familiar with his voice when it is taught, when it is preached, and when we open the book and read it ourselves every day as we have our time in the Word of God, we're getting familiar with the voice of the shepherd. And so he says, my sheep know my voice. They, they've been there. They, they're interested in what I have to say. They're listening to what I have to say. My sheep know my voice. But there's the door as well I want to look again at for a moment. The door, as mentioned there in verse 7 through 9, we saw he said, I am the door. I am the door, the sheepfold. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 puts it this way, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is none other name. And Jesus said, I am the door, I am the way. And there is only one door and only one way. That is important for you to get. Uh, and you are saying, well, pastor, that is, you know, self-explanatory. We know that. We understand that. We have been preached that all of our lives. Uh, if you've been a Christian, a fundamental Christian for a long time, you, you get it. You, know, you understand that. But, but you need to know something else. You need to know that there is no, uh, quote, unquote, liberal Christian. And they're liberal Christian people that identify themselves as liberals and still identify themselves as Christians uh, all over the place. They're all over the world, you know. But there is, none, there is not one liberal Christian that believes what I just said is true. There aren't any. They don't believe, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, they don't believe that Jesus is the only way, the only door. They don't believe that there's not salvation in any other but the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't believe that. No liberal so-called Christian believes that. But you need to know something else, my brothers and sisters, in this era in which we live, this, in this culture in which we live. You need to know that only about half of those that identify themselves as evangelicals believe that. And that would be, you know, a good bulk of the, uh, of the population, of the Christian population of American Christians would say, I'm an evangelical. But only about one out of two evangelical persons believes what I just read. 
only about one out of two believes that Jesus Christ is the only way and the only door. Only about half. <laughs> so that's a, a remarkable thing. Now, are they saved? Well, if they were saved in, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior, yes, they're saved. Were they taught? Obviously not. They have not been taught the truth. They have not, uh, they don't get it. And uh, they need to get it. The world needs to get it. Because if you don't get it, what happens? If you don't get it, you aren't nearly as concerned about getting the gospel around the world because you're saying, we don't need uh, this brother here, who's uh, brother, brother Fasinro, who's going back to Nigeria to minister his people. We're going to say, well, if, if Jesus Christ isn't really, really, really the only way, if there's other possibilities, then, you know, we don't need to be that concerned about spending all that money and all those resources and all that effort to try to get missionaries to the foreign field. We don't need to do that. So... Uh, do you ever wonder why the missions giving in some of these uh, other circles is, is not there at all? It's not there? <laughs> that it involves spending on a local level or, you know, doing stuff that benefits the local assembly uh, more than, you know, uh, the, the work of missions? Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons. And so you understand how important it is for us to, to change that dynamic, to get people to recognize it. And I'm encouraged about one thing. The most recent polls concerning this, I mean, these polls are asked all the time, you know, uh, and they're, they're, they res the respondents give their response and then they're tabulated and all that. So it happens all the time. But the latest one I read is concerning the millennials. There's some good news regarding you millennials, if you're here millennial. And that is that the greatest increase in the, uh, in the belief that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation is among millennial Christians. <laughs> That's an amazing thing, you know. They're getting it, you know. They're, they're growing into it and understanding it more than, it was more than the older group and more than the younger group below them, the younger generation below them. It was, it, was, uh, it was substantially more in the latest poll. And uh, I'm thrilled with that. I'm glad to see that there is in that generation of millennials a growing sense that the Bible is true and the uh, religious dogma and opinion of so many that, con that are contrary to the Bible is not true. So thank God for that fact. But the truth is that we have a lot of work to do, a long way to go concerning this importance of uh, getting the message out that Jesus really is the only, only way. And uh, if no liberal Christian believes that, only half of evangelical uh, Christians believe that, you know, the reason we don't really identify, we, when people say, well, what camp are you in, whatever, we don't say, well, we're evangelicals, because we're really not. We're fundamentalists. It's a, it's a nasty word anymore, and, you know, and the, uh, the media likes to use the word fundamentalist to mean any wacko, crazy, you know, whacked out, group anywhere, a religious group. So when you say you're fundamentalist, you almost you know, have to hold your hands up to make sure you don't get hit by, uh, by the, uh, you know, the neo-fascists that are running around today. So, uh, um, so uh, fundamentalist, though, is one that simply just believes the Bible is true. It's the Word of God, you know, that's all true. That It's not like some of it, take it and leave it. It's not like, I believe the red letter part of it, but I don't really believe the rest, you know. It's not like, well, I believe the New Testament, but the Old Testament, I don't get that. I don't need that and don't believe that. No, if you're a, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you need to just believe the whole thing, you know. <laughs> Or just say, well, I don't believe it at all. You know, be honest enough to say, you know, I'm a pagan. I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a heathen. I don't, I reject the Bible. You know, you take it, take it all or leave it all. 
but uh, be man enough, woman enough to, to uh, you know, decide. Don't just be walking around in the mud all your life, you know, not knowing which way to go. Uh, and so that's the difference there. As a Bible believer, you and I, you know, you and I accept that what we just read there about Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, the life, the only way, the only door, the only hope of salvation, we get that. We understand that. And so uh, the good part about that, the, all this, though, is that even though he's the only way, even though he's the only way, it's an any man way. He says, if any man, if any man will come unto me. It's an any man way. Anybody can. It's not exclusive in that sense that he says, well, only the... Oh, I've got this little elect sliver of people that I'm going to, you know, save, and the whole rest of the world is damned to hell, you know. Uh, Calvin said that, but Jesus didn't say it. Amen. Calvin says it, but Jesus didn't say it. He didn't say, I've got this little elect sliver, and I didn't really mean any man when I said any man, and I didn't mean the whole world when I said I died for the whole world, and I didn't mean that uh, I, I want to none to perish. I didn't really mean that. I meant just none of the elect, you know. It's a, that's not what the Bible says, what Calvin says, but it's not what the Bible says. So take the Bible, you know, take the Bible. Don't follow Thomas Arminius. Don't follow John Calvin. Uh, don't follow, you know, uh, the, the ones that say, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm a Peter. Uh, I, just say, you know, with the ones that had it right, I'm of Christ, you know. <laughs> I'm of Christ, and... Uh, uh, we're, we're a child of God and not a child of a theologian. So uh, get that and understand how important that is. It's, a, it's an any man way. But we saw that that door we're talking about swings both in and out. It swings in and out. Jesus is the, is the way uh, of salvation going in. And then that door is open for us to serve going out. We are going out, the Bible says, to find pasture. We're as we're going, we're growing. If you're not going and, and serving God in some capacity, then you're not going to grow. You need to be understanding how important it is for you to find your place of service and serve God in that capacity. I hope it's here, you know, through the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. I would like that if all of us said, yeah, this is where God wants me to be and where God wants me to serve. But I know that that is not the case for everybody, and so... Wherever it is, find it and get in there and plug in and get serving and do it, you know, uh, do it. But, uh, but find that place. That's why that door is said to be uh, opening and closing, going in and going out, you know. But there's not some other way. Lewis and Clark on their journey in, in 1805, they made it up to North Dakota uh, and they were surrounded by various uh, tribal people, uh, Indian tribes. They were surrounded by a number of different tribes and so they built Fort Mandan, you know, it's, and Lewis and Clark expedition was not a lot of men, 40 or 50 people. Uh, they built, uh, they built uh, Fort Mandan there, and so they would go out and hunt and, and supply. They were going to winter there until they could continue their journey on because of the snow and ice and so forth. They weren't unable to move forward. So they're going to winter there. There was a man by the name of Private Thomas Howard that was out hunting one day. He got back. It was after dark, and so he didn't want to call out the sentry. He decided, well, I can just scale the wall, and he did. Uh, but as he dropped down on the other side, a, uh, one of the uh, tribes, one of the natives, uh, Indians there, saw him do that and saw how easy it was, and so followed him over, you know, and dropped down into the, uh, of course, it was to the great surprise of all those there that this, uh, what they called a savage, you know, was, uh, was there in their midst, you know, uh, and had just uh, hopped over the wall because he'd seen the example of, uh, of Thomas Howard. 
So um, they severely rebuked him. They gave the Indian uh, some tobacco and sent him on his way. You know, and he was happy with that. But uh, they said, well, you know, you've really endangered us. You've made it evident that it's not hard for anybody to get in if they want to. And so uh, the punishment for that infraction was 50 lashes well laid on, is what uh, Clark put it in his uh, uh, notes as. 50 lashes well laid on. What they were saying is there's no other way to get in uh, there's no other way to get in but through the, the gate, through the door, the one door into the fort. So, so you have the, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as we, as we uh, conclude there um, as the giver of life, the giver. And uh, chapter, uh, 10 and verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10 through 18 all focuses on the good shepherd. Oh, thank God for that. I'm privileged to be called a pastor, which means the shepherd but certainly it should be with a small s because we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our good shepherd. We, uh, we you and me together have uh, our pastor, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, He is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And he is the one who has laid down his life for us. He said, I want to give him life, and I don't want to just give him survival. I want to give him life more abundantly. Uh, and so he laid down his own life. In the Arctic, uh, in the Australia, Australasian Arctic expedition that uh, was uh, led by Douglas Mawson, he, his team, there was a team of 18 men, I think, that went to the base camp and built that, and then they went out of there. His team of three had two, two sleds and 12 dogs, and they went uh, to the east. And it was called the Far Eastern Expedition. Their hope was to get uh, 325 miles out in unexplored territory and then make it back, you know. So they had to take their supplies with them on two sleds and uh, six uh, dogs. He had uh, Belgrade Ninnis with him, who was a, um, uh, who was a, uh, a Britisher. And um, he had a man named Xavier Mertz, who was a Swissman, a Swiss. Uh, and um, they had their, their supplies and the Huskies and so forth. They got out a little past 300 miles out and they were, they were uh, making pretty good progress, but they were going across a snow bridge, which was the cover over ice and snow cover over the crevasses, and they, you can't see them because snow piles on top and so forth. And they were making their way across. They knew they were out in the crevasse somewhere because they could hear the hollow underneath them. Uh, and, and so uh, two of them, they were on their way back. Two of them got across. Um, it was Mawson and, uh, and Mertz got across. But the third man had the bulk of the supplies, had the heavier sled and the bulk of the supplies and the best dogs with him, they had almost everything on that sled uh, because they figured that would be the one behind. And if there was a break in the in the crevasse, that would be the first sled that would go, and they could get rescued from the second one. Well, it didn't work that way. The first one got across, and then the second one, he because of he was running alongside the sled, uh, uh, Ninnis was running alongside the sled. He he broke through the ice, grabbing onto the sled. He he uh, it was tied to it actually. He pulled the sled behind him and it fell on him and the dogs and it went, the crevasse was so deep they didn't even couldn't even see him down there uh they tried to get him out but six hours later they realized there was no hope at all so they'd lost the bulk of their provisions their tent most of their supplies almost all of their food six of the best dogs uh and Dennis. so all of that went down to the crevasse and there was just Mertz and and uh, Mawson left so they had uh, 300 miles to cover now with almost no food, uh, six dogs that were in bad shape, and uh, one sled that had just a few provisions on it. So they made their way, 
and as they went on, uh, Mertz got weaker and weaker to the point where he couldn't even carry on anymore. And uh, Mawson, rather than, he, he, it was obvious that Mertz was near death, was going to die. Uh, he uh, was not going to live many days longer, but uh, Mawson refused to, to, to give him up. And so Mawson got to the place where he would have to carry him on the sled. Uh, the dogs were too weak to pull the sled by now, so Mawson by himself would pull the sled a couple of miles, three miles or four miles a day and collapse there. They had the remnant of the outside of a tent they could put over themselves and, and still, uh, still had uh, uh, over, over 100 miles to go to get back to base camp So in uh, unbelievably cold weather, blizzards and so on. Uh, to do that, but the, the thing that was amazing about it is that Mawson was unwilling to just let this man who was inevitably going to die, to just die and, and leave him. He would have had a much greater chance of getting back to base camp if he had the remaining supplies himself and, and had, uh, didn't have the weight of a man that was near death. But he refused to do that, and he carried him on day by day until they couldn't, either one of them had to go on any longer, and, and uh, Mertz died in his arms there in the tent uh, one night, and so he laid him to rest there, and, uh, cut the remaining sled in half, put the few provisions that he had left uh, uh, on the, uh, on the um, uh, sled. They had, eaten, they had eaten most of the dogs by the time um, that happened, we had one dog left, and it was very weak, and so uh, it was in a comatose state, so he put it on his sled and carried it until it died, and then he used it for, for his food. Uh, but Mawson, Mawson made it back barely alive to base camp uh, after 20 days by himself alone on the ice. Uh, an amazing story, a remarkable story, but the, the, the amazing part of it, one of the amazing parts of it was his willingness to, to, uh, to be willing to sacrifice his own life if need be if he could keep Mertz alive. And uh, he couldn't do it, but thank God our Lord Jesus Christ could. Uh, he could, by the sacrifice of his own life, keep us alive, and he did that. He's become our protector and our gatherer, our uniter, our keeper. All of those things are spelled out for us there in the 10th chapter. But what do we need to take from the message today is this, that we got to understand that uh, there's only one way and one door, and that's to Jesus Christ alone. You need to get that if you haven't gotten it yet. You're not, you're not going to find it any other way. He's, he's not... He's not going to save you any other means. You've got to come to Christ today. And uh, then you and I that are Christians need to remember that uh, the world needs that message. There, And Christians need that message. They need to know we, we can't think, well, maybe everybody will get there some other way or maybe people will just be in earnest and they'll, you know, they'll think about God and they'll find a way. No, you've got to get, we've got to get the gospel to them. We've got to get the message to them. And we got to see that, um, that sharp focus on that passage that Jesus is pointing out to us there is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door and the only door. So let's stand together, give an invitation. If you need to come today and trust Christ as your Savior, then do that. Come and, come and trust him, and, uh, and he will save you today. He will save you today. Uh, and we're going to sing 665. 665 is our invitation today, 665. We're going to sing that uh, a verse of invitation before we uh, conclude and baptize. The 99, that's 99 out there uh, in the fold safe and only one out in the, in the weather and the concern of our Savior, the 99. Father, we ask your blessing on the invitation. We pray for those that might be here that haven't trusted you as a Savior yet that they'd come and be saved today. And I pray for us Christians, Lord, help us to, 
uh, to be more urgent about our, uh, the importance of getting the gospel to others and uh, seeing them saved. We pray, Father, that we wouldn't rely on, on the traditions of men, but that, that we would stand on the word of God. I ask your blessing on the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing 665, you come right out and step right out and come. If you haven't been saved or if you need a church home or if you've been saved but haven't been biblically baptized, whatever the need is, you come, come on ahead. If you just need to come and pray, come and do that, will you? Nine, uh, Ninety and nine that safely live.